This is the EPLOG audio experience. Hi, this is Kunal Kapoor and I'm the host for Podcast MD by Keto. Before we get into it, let me tell you how Podcast MD by Keto came about. As most of you may know, I'm also one of the founders of Keto, one of the country's leading crowdfunding platforms. Medical crowdfunding has been one of the biggest causes for us at Keto. Over 500 crores have been raised to successfully fund urgent medical cases and save lives. But sadly, the number of people in India not able to afford healthcare has only been rising. And so we've increased our focus on healthcare to make it more accessible and affordable. While being unable to secure funds for treatment is obviously one of the biggest concerns for both patient and their family. We found there were gaps beyond as well. When someone is suddenly hit with a serious medical condition, there's so much one isn't prepared for. One may or may not be prepared to handle the finances, but everything else that comes with it, one certainly isn't prepared for. And that's what podcast MD by Keto is about. Trying to understand everything around, the emotional aspect, dealing with doctors in hospitals, making the difficult choices and just coping with it all. Another thing that we came to realize in working closely with healthcare was that in spite of increased efforts and awareness, the number of cancer-related cases are only increasing. And so, we decided that in our first season, we're going to take on the big C. I'm going to be chatting with cancer survivors from different backgrounds to find out how they dealt with everything that comes with the disease. We want survivors to share their experiences as that could inspire and help others get through a difficult period in their life and also help them understand more about the disease. Our guest for today is Dr. Santanu Sen. Dr. Santanu Sen started his career in pediatric hematology and oncology in the UK and after working there for 12 years, he set up a similar service at the Kokila Ben Hospital. The service is now acknowledged to be one of the best in the region. Dr. Santanu Sen is an experienced stem cell transplanter and the only international accredited BMT unit inspector in India. A teacher and examiner for the Royal College of Pediatrics in the UK, he has over 55 publications and has been an invited faculty to various national and international conferences. He's also been chosen as one of the top doctors in Mumbai in 2019 and 2020 and consistently strives to provide the best possible care to his patients. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's a, a pleasure. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to have you here and uh, thank you so much for coming by and agreeing to speak to us. To begin with, actually, I'd like to start with you. Oh, okay. I'd like to start with uh, your journey right. from the UK to India. All right. Okay. Um, well, my journey is kind of like intimately uh, attached and uh, related to my care for children with cancer. Right. So, and what what had happened was, and we go back a long time. Uh, it probably started a bit before that when I was still working in India at that time. This was in Calcutta in one of the government hospitals, and I was actually quite struck by how care for children with cancer was not really that great. Hmm. And to be honest, the outcomes were pretty dismal. So this is when I was straight out of medical school. So this is 93, 94. And you have a young child being diagnosed with something like a blood cancer or a leukemia hmm. would mean that we would be treating the children for about six months or eight months. And then we could not do much else. And that 
kind of stayed with me. Hmm. And then when I went over to UK, I was quite struck by how things have radically different out there. The treatment is much better. The outcomes are better. And there you have bone marrow transplants being done, which hmm. was literally unknown in India at that time. Oh, it was unknown in India. Oh, yeah. So at that point, 25 no, years back, 25 years, nobody was really doing transplants. Right. And then I got interested in it. And then that's when I trained in it. I actually worked for a long time in BMT and uh, pediatric cancer there, more than six years. At some point over there, when I was still working and I was actually looking to join as a consultant in one of the hospitals. And that's when Kukulaben Hospital got in touch with me and said, would you like to come over here and set up a unit treating children with cancer, doing transplants at the same level, delivering the same kind of services that you're doing there. And I thought that's a godsend opportunity. Right. I mean, why not? Right. And that's how I came out here. So how many years back was that? Oh, so this would have been about 11 to 12 years back. Right. So the hospital had just... Started and so they had actually contacted me when I was still in London, and uh, today we are in 2020. So this is about 11 years ago, 2009, when the hospital first opened its doors, and I've been there as one of the first uh, few doctors to join the hospital and been with them ever since. So you've been uh, involved in pediatric oncology for the last 20 years now. Uh, more, just about 20, or maybe just a little bit more than that. Oh, that's a long time. Oh, no, it's a long time, but it's well worth the journey. It's a journey that's very well cherished. And I love being in this speciality, love working right. with children, with families. In the last 20 years, you must have seen it change radically, no? A lot, a lot. I mean, uh, as I was saying that, I mean, if we look at how children with cancer were treated about 20, 25 years ago, the outcomes, the way of treating and the results were really not that great. And more often than not, I mean, you diagnose a child with a cancer, it would usually mean that you would not have a very good outcome. Hmm. Fast forward to today's day and age, if a child today gets diagnosed with the commonest cancer in children, which is a blood cancer called leukemia, hmm. acute lymphoblastic leukemia, we talk about curing more than 90 to 95% of all of these cases. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that to me is amazing that we have moved from treating successfully 60% of our patients to say that we can treat 95 to 98% of all our patients. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, and in fact, actually, now it's gone one step further that we've kind of become a little bit so confident. We say that maybe there are some of these cancers which we can treat so well that we see these patients and say, you know what, it's about the worst thing that can happen to you as a family, as a child. Right. But we have almost certain that we would be curing your child as well. And you can look back upon this phase of your life as a bad dream. Right. And you can move on. It obviously makes a difference when that cancer is caught. Is that when you say 95 to 98 percent, uh, mm -hmm. is that stage two, stage three, stage uh, four? You're absolutely right. Of course, I mean, uh, the earlier we can pick up a cancer, the earlier we know that the child is suffering from something, the better is the outcome. And it does depend that if we manage to pick it up early in its course when it's still in the first few stages for stage one or stage two, rather than it having spread everywhere in the body, we have a much better outcomes. Right. Of course, it still is true that if he gets something like a 
bone tumor which has gone to the lungs to the other parts of the body then our results would not be that great because mm. by that time unfortunately it would have spread to a lot of other places right so it is about catching it early of course it is absolutely about catching and, it and uh, when you uh, when you you know what is the sort of common symptoms that you've seen in children mm. you know because as a parent sometimes you dismiss something off as correct you know it might not seem very serious sure. but what is the common symptom that you've seen in children that you think that parents should pick up so there are a few things we keep on telling parents i mean and to be honest they make sense i mean if while you're dressing or undressing your child and you feel a lump anywhere on the body hmm. do get to your gp or your pediatrician and get it checked out mm. i mean yes it may not be anything right. but it's well worth finding out what it is if we talk about blood cancers then they are a little more difficult to pick up but what we say is if you find that your child has a fever mm. or is continuing to get bouts of temperature that are coming and going and nobody seem to be able to find out what it is then our pediatric friends our doctors are tuned to say that could this be something like that and that's when you have to worry right unexplained weight loss the child's losing weight and we can't figure out why that's another thing and actually one of the very important things to do deal with brain tumors is that if you find your previously normal healthy happy child suddenly seems to be a different person hmm. whether it's that his entire demeanor has changed has become either withdrawn or morose or he's just undergoing a huge change in the way he is behaving then think about it or if he's developing a limp or is finding difficult to move hands mm. or feet these are the things that we keep on talking about saying that something that's not quite right speak to your doctor about it let's get it checked out and see what it is right so it's not only physical changes it could also be a personality absolutely. change absolutely i mean or emotional change exactly uh, especially for brain tumors that's very important i mean yes of course if it's like a <clears throat> large brain tumor and the child has uh, a weakness in a hand or a feet all of us would get it checked out but it's also quite important to say that if there's a emotional change as you rightly said or a child's behavior changes then that also needs to be thought of right. that is there something behind that i think that's really important because you know usually we are just always looking only at the physical symptoms correct exactly and uh, you know when there's a change in the personality you dismiss it as something that's happening around you absolutely uh, around I the mean, child true. as opposed to you know something that might be going on inside correct yeah i mean for a young teenager you might say it's just that that's a hormone that's happening but right. again i think after a certain point we all as doctors need to think and parents need to think is there something else behind that i need to think of right it's useful to do it that way so your specialization is bmt right that's right so yep so i deal with children with cancer and the logical way of taking it forward which is again a niche speciality is bone marrow transplants or right. stem cell transplants basically and um, it's it's basically a way to try and cure children who otherwise would not be responding to chemotherapy or radiotherapy so can you take our listeners through what bmt involves and all right what okay, it's all about sure. and what the procedure is right uh, pleasure so so whenever we talk about a bone marrow transplant it's also called a stem cell transplant it's basically collecting very primitive cells called stem cells which have the capacity to grow and multiply into blood forming cells there are two main disease forms where we use it i mean firstly 
by any chance if a patient has a condition where they are not making blood as normally you and I would make. Mm. So you would have heard about patients with thalassemia who right. don't actually make blood and they keep on needing blood transfusions every two to three weeks. Right. And these patients will need a transfusion their entire lives. Or a similar illness called sickle cell where again blood is not being made. And then there's this condition called a plastic anemia where the bone marrow just stops making blood. So what happens is if you think about the bone marrow being the factory which makes blood and it's not working. So that's where we can do a transplant which means that we wipe out the marrow of the patient using drugs, chemotherapy or radiation and then put in a fresh copy of marrow cells from a healthy donor to the patient. Then we wait for these cells to grow. They multiply and after about two to three weeks, these cells grow and they start producing healthy cells and Mm. the patient is cured. So that's for blood diseases. Right. Now, we do something slightly differently for cancers. So we will do a transplant for a cancer only if it is very severe, very aggressive, it's relapsed or is resistant to all treatment, it's not responding to chemotherapy, it's not responding to radiotherapy. So what we would do at that point, we know that normal doses of chemotherapy or radiotherapy will not cure my patient. So what we do in that case is actually treat him with much, much higher doses of chemo and radiotherapy to wipe the disease out completely. Hmm. Now, if we do that without having a backup plan, what would happen? And yes, those medicines, those radiation will wipe the cancer out, but our patient may not have enough reserves to recover. Hmm. So that's when we take cells from the patient, store it, and then give it back after that. Right. And that's also a transplant. And that's how we would treat cancer cases that way. So the stem cells come from the patient and sometimes from a donor as well. Right? That's right. That's right. Uh, so what kind of, uh, is there any specification that you need to have to be a donor? Is there something particular uh you know, what kind of person can be a donor? So actually, that's a that's really a really a good question, because most of our transplants, we do need a healthy donor who agrees to donate their stem cells for a patient suffering from a cancer. To be honest, our criteria are fairly, um, fairly easy to follow. You need to be an adult between the ages of 18 to 50. Okay. And you should not be having any very severe medical conditions like uh, if you are a diabetic, say, for example, or if you have advanced liver disease or kidney problems, then we would suggest you do not be a donor. But the vast majority of the adult population can very easily sign up to be a stem cell donor, be a bone marrow donor. And what what is the procedure to be a donor? Uh, It's actually fairly simple. Unlike when people would talk about a bone marrow transplant, we think that is it some part of the bone marrow that's taken out and then it's kept there. It's actually not. All it involves is that we take a swab from the person who has volunteered to be a donor and it's a swab that's an oral swab. We take a swab from the mouth and on that we run a genetic test to figure out what is the genetic signature of that patient is. And then that information is just stored in a database in a stem cell bank. So you don't actually donate even blood or anything, just a swab's taken. And that's really? it. That is it. Oh, it is okay. that simple. I always imagined it to be completely different. No. So that's, that's the thing that we talk about when you talk about being a stem cell donor. 
all you're going to do is just sign a piece of paper saying that I volunteer to be a stem cell donor and the person who's kind of uh, registering you to be a stem cell donor will take one of those tiny plastic sticks with a little bit of a cotton wool at the end of it. Just scrub the inside of your cheek for two minutes and that's it. You're done. You've now registered to be a stem cell donor. So that information, that genetic information about what your, we call it HLA typing, is stored on the database. And it might mean about next month, next year, or five years later, there may be a patient at the other end of the world who needs a transplant. So what we do that whenever we have a patient who needs a transplant, we contact the stem cell banks and say, this is the genetic makeup of the patient that I need a match for. Hmm. Then they look through their databases, they troll through their database and say, do you know what? You're very lucky. Your patient's very lucky because there's an exact match for your patient. And you might be sitting in Bombay, right. but your patient's donor is actually living in Madurai or in Chennai. Right. And that's it. That's a good news for us. Then the stem cell bank would contact the donor and say that you had signed up to be a donor five years ago, 10 right. years ago. Right. And uh, you now have the power you now have the god has given you this gift that you can save another life and if you're happy to donate that's when that person is contacted and what what is the procedure then once you're contacted to donate so what happens is the local hospital would kind of make sure that you are still healthy do a few blood tests to make sure there's no infections and anything mm. and then what we do we kind of increase the number of stem cells in the patient by giving five injections over five days it's okay. a simple injection called gcsf and what it does it increases the number of stem cells that are circulating in the body then on the day of donation, all we do is we collect the stem cells from one of the veins at the back of the hand or from the elbow. So there's no operation or nothing. It's right. as simple as donating blood or donating platelets. Oh, okay. It takes a little bit longer. It takes about four hours when we actually, the donor gets connected to a machine which skims and separates the stem cells. Hmm. And then you just have a small bandaid on your arm and you go out. And then you're ready to go out. You're ready. You can go out and party the same night and we get back to work the next oh. day. So you don't really need any medicines, you're not. But in those four hours, you've saved a life. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And that's why we keep on saying that it's possibly the biggest gift you can give to anybody and without actually causing any kind of side effects or any lasting effects on yourself. Mm. You literally go out to work the same day. Mm. You don't have to worry about your health. You do not need any follow-up checkups. There's nothing else needed. And should ever you need to donate again, right. you might be asked to donate again after a year or some if somebody else needs a cell and that's it. So, so you can I'm, do it every year you, if, if, if needs be, but that would be incredibly rare to happen. Right. But sometimes what right. happens is that the patient might need a little more stem cells in which we say that, would you mind donating another 50 ml of your blood? And that's it. Right. It's a simple thing to do. So we've been talking about oncology and how it's changed from the past to what it is now. True. How do you see it changing in the future? Because, you know, medicine is evolving so quickly. Correct. It's, it's, it's actually a very exciting time that we are living in. Because if you talk about oncology, a traditional way of treating all of these cancers have always been chemotherapy, which are basically drugs that you inject, or radiotherapy, which involves massive doses of radiation that we expose the patient or the tumor to. 
Now, that is effective. It has brought us to the current stage where we are able to cure a lot of patients. But then there are also side effects to that, which we know and we deal with. Where we are right now is where we have these new modalities, new way of treating uh, cancers, which are called uh, monoclonal antibodies. Big word. What it means is that we can now design molecules which can hone onto targets onto the cancer cells like a guided missile. Hmm. So all it will do, these drugs, that they will just go and kill the cancer cells and the cancer cells only without causing any damage to the rest of the body or the rest of the cells. So it's like like we see on the movies or on TV that you got this guided missiles going out and hitting the target. And right. that's exactly what we do. So this is like targeted therapy that we are doing. And this is this is something that you do already? This is something that we do already and we are doing it. Uh, we have been doing it for a number of cancers over the last few years. Hmm. And to be honest, we are in that era now where more and more newer drugs like this are being designed, coming out every single year. And we are getting better at it. We are getting better at treating the cancers with these new class of drugs. And does it treat all kinds of cancers or is there specific cancers that it Specific cancers it because what happens is if you think about it, that we need to figure out, we need to find a target on the cancer cell that's quite unique. Hmm. And that target has to be on the cancer cell only. Hmm. It should not be on the other normal body cells. So once you've identified a target that's quite unique, like a signature of that cancer cell, then it just becomes a matter of time till we find a guided missile that will hit that cell and kill that cancer cell. Right. And so newer agents are coming through the pipeline every single year. So right now, uh, what are the cancers that you can treat with this so sort there of was, treatment? So there was this uh, cancer called CML, chronic myeloid leukemia. If I go back 10, 15 years ago, um, it was basically a killer. You wouldn't survive. Right now, all you need to do is take a tablet. There's a tablet called imatinib, and you just take that and that is it. Yes, you do need to take that tablet, but you don't need any chemo or radiation. And the disease is controlled, controlled for a very long time. Mm. And that's how that's I think incredible. Yeah, newer agents are coming through. But there's again a very interesting development that's happening and that's going to take us a little bit in the future. And this is the field of immunotherapy. Right. And what that involves is that Rather than giving any drugs or even antibodies from outside, we are now learning how to tinker with the body's own immune system so that it fights and gets rid of the cancer cells completely. Mm. And these new drugs are going to come in more and more in the next few years, whereby I think that if you're successful, we might really get there where the big C word may not be that scary anymore. Wow, that would be incredible. (laughs) So then you wouldn't need chemotherapy at all? No, you would not need chemotherapy because all you do is that you use these new agents which will work with the body's own immune system Mm. to get rid of the cancer cells from the body. What can be be better than that? Just incredible. True. Exciting times. Exciting times we are living through. Right. And so Kokila Ben also, uh, you'll also work a lot with like the underprivileged people, right? We do. Uh, People that don't obviously have access to funds or, you know, don't have access to the money that's required for all these treatments. So could you take us through that as well? Yeah, uh, that'd be my pleasure. So um, we are a tertiary hospital. So which means that we get patients from all across India and from all strata of society. And we actually understood that and we appreciated that from a very early stage. Mm. So what happens is that even when any patient comes in who needs a treatment and 
we realize that they are coming from a slightly underprivileged background, that's when our social workers would be sitting down with them. We would kind of say, this is the kind of cost outlay you're looking at. Allow us to help you devise a plan where you would be able to treat your child or treat your relative and still you would not be financially massively disadvantaged. Mm. And there are a number of ways we do it. Uh, we do have access to various government, quasi-government organizations, uh, corporate individual donors. And then, of course, uh, Keto, for example, has been an absolute godsend for us over the last eight years. Thank you. Thank you so no, much. It's, it's seriously, I mean it. It's I can think of so many lives that we have touched, so many lives we have saved because uh, we, we, we kind of appreciate how crowdfunding has been a complete game changer in where we can actually deliver optimum care to our patients irrespective of their ability to pay. Hmm. And uh, I mean, a platform like uh, Keto, whereby we can get donors from all across the world, right. shipping in to save a life is amazing. Yeah, I mean, we are also constantly amazed at mm. how many people just from across the world, strangers come come Sorry. together to help someone they've never met. Never met, they've never seen. I, I was sharing this story that I had a child about, this is about six months or eight months ago, who urgently needed a life-saving transplant. The parents were from Hyderabad. They had, they know nobody in the city and they were saying that, okay, I know my daughter needs to be saved. I'm going to do anything possible to save my daughter's life. What do we do? We reached out to Keto volunteers. We started a crowdfunding. And I still remember that weekend that every time I would look on the phone to see how much the funds mm. are going through, I was amazed. It took just one weekend for us to raise enough funds to kind of start off a transplant and save the life of this child. No, I have to share. So we've, um, we've just actually done that transplant. This girl's doing well. She's going back to Hyderabad next week. Thanks to you guys. That's one more life. But thanks to you. Thanks <laughs> to you for nice. making it possible. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, when yeah. we hear these stories as well, we, I mean, we obviously feel like uh, there is a sense of satisfaction. You all obviously want to work much, much harder. Correct. Uh, I mean, it, it like, makes it all worthwhile, to be right, honest. Right. Yeah. Also, when you're dealing with children, Correct. the approach must be completely different from how you deal with adults, of course. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, this is, I think all of us over the years have possibly learned how to deal with children, how to talk to them. Um, I think we've learned that they can be remarkably insightful about what's going on. And I have this conversation always with parents. Parents always want to hide everything. So you mm. don't want to let him know this. And I kind of say that, you know, that this current generation is very tech savvy. Mm. All of them have access to mobile phones. And if you think that you're keeping your 12-year-old away from a diagnosis of cancer when he or she knows she's coming into the ward, that's his oncology ward and right. getting chemo and she's losing her hair, that's not the right way to do it because... What happens is these kids, they can't talk about it. Hmm. The father, their parents don't want to talk about it. They don't want to see their parents sad. So they don't. So they try to keep it all inside. And one of the things I keep on saying is, you know, it's possibly better to have an open conversation. Right. Let them open up and come out. We also find that as we treat children, as we treat these kids, and to be honest, we don't 
treat the children in isolation. We are treating them really as a family, as a part of the society. We form very close bonds with the kids. Right. And um, we are no longer their doctors. We are friends of the kids. We are uncles to the children. Mm. And we get friendly and we get like a family because we are dealing with all the ups and downs that they're going through, all their emotional trauma, all the turmoils. And uh, we form very close emotional bonds and uh, we join in their success. We are happy and then we share their downward times and their sorrows if things don't go according to plan. But how do you, how do you keep yourself sort of, I don't know if protected is the right word, but how do you keep yourself sort of emotionally detached from a situation like that? Because, you know, when you are dealing with children, it must be very, very difficult. I don't think you can, to be honest. And um, especially when you're dealing with children with cancer, I mean, they're, will be times when you would be actually one with the family and saying that, okay, we tried our best. Hmm. All you can do is brush yourself off the next day and say, maybe I haven't really managed to save or been successful in this case, but I've got to look back upon the other eight or 10 cases where we have Hmm. taken the child out through the journey and then he's growing up to be a normal person going back to school going back to college wow that must is, be really satisfying yeah it's it's difficult but i mean I, I get asked this question a lot saying that you must be in a very very tough field i mean yes we are it's a tough challenging field it's emotionally draining i'll be the first one to say that but it's also kind of you get you feel privileged you mm. feel fortunate that you are a part of a journey that the family's trusted to take you in to take this child through this, to actually take them towards a cure. And once you get there, believe me, there's no feeling like that in the world. I really. can imagine. That. Yeah. It must be really satisfying to see a child who is sick go back to school. Correct. Correct. It must be incredible. Correct. So, I mean, for somebody like, um, when I say, when if I see a newly diagnosed patient with a leukemia and you see the parents are absolutely shattered i mean to be honest it's the worst thing ever a parent can go through to hear the news that a doctor sits across the table and says your child's got cancer Mm. your world comes crashing down completely Mm. and you just don't know what's you lose your trust in god you don't know what's happening and um if it is one of the cancers that we can treat well i mean to be honest if i look at pediatric cancers as a whole group we probably would be successful in treating more than 60 to 70 percent of all cases and that's what gets us through to the next day so it doesn't matter the vast majority of all my patients are going to be fine and if it is something like leukemia then i sit down and say you know what today is probably the worst day of your life but believe me you're going to look back up on this day when you see your child going to school next year, attending mm. college after five years, you're getting him married off. Mm-hmm. And believe me, he still has to pay his taxes at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when we say, okay, they cannot come back. So right, let's go. We got to treat this. We have to be positive. We go forward from that point. Right, that's wonderful. So Dr. Sen, what are the questions that you uh, get asked really often? And if there are parents out there that are listening, right. uh, what are the questions that they should be asking actually? So um, one of the first questions that every parent wants to know whenever we make a diagnosis of a child who's just been diagnosed with a cancer is why? Mm. Why me? Why my family? Why my child? What have I done wrong? Mm. What could I have done differently? Is there something that, is it 
almost like it's a question of is it my fault hmm. is it something that we failed to do hmm. and i keep on saying actually not really unlike adult cancers where we can talk about that maybe a better healthy lifestyle maybe not smoking would protect you from lung cancer not taking tobacco products can protect you from oral cancers unfortunately in children none of those things are at all applicable hmm. and i keep on saying the best you can think about it's that it was an inevitable accident that just had happened hmm. and i keep on saying this because parents ask us is it to do with mobile phone use no it's not hmm. it's got nothing to do with the fact that your child's been on a mobile phone i mean leave aside the fact that a child should not be on hmm. mobile hmm. phones for too long but it's not related to that neither is it related to wifi signals and i've been asked that question a lot of time by parents saying that should i have kept the router away no it's nothing to do with that it's not to do with diet either i've been asked is it to do with veg diet or non veg diet no it's not nothing to do with vaccinations nothing to do with environment i mean to be very 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 honest we like really, you said it's just an accident it's just an accident and that's where we kind of say that if i put my hand on my heart we probably don't really know what really caused it to happen in the first right. place right mm-hmm. and when when a parent does go to meet a doctor what would you suggest that they ask and look out for right you know when their child is going through the treatment so so one of the first thing we say is that whenever a child's going through a treatment we want to find out that the child's healthy mm. and there are two aspects to that the first is actually nutrition and we look out for that all the time make sure a child health eats healthy foods mm. at mm. home mm. has to be fresh foods has to be food cooked at home don't go overboard and buy a takeaway meal from the corner shop somewhere just be sensible in making sure child has enough calories has healthy food and the second thing which is more important is just watch out for infections mm. any child any t- child who's on any kind of treatment if that child has a fever please let your treating doctor know about it straight away mm. so that we can actually do something start antibiotics see the child quickly and start some treatment as soon as possible right. probably those two are the most important so nutrition and constantly watching out for, for any for sort infections. of infections correct yes. right mm. and you must have obviously like we've been talking about there's so many children that you've treated and each case of course is very satisfying but has there been any case where you felt like uh this one was particularly special because you felt maybe this child's not going to make it and the oh, child really fought and God, you know yeah. it's done well I mean, oh now that i've said it okay uh, i'll i'll share this case with you because it's somebody that's very close to my heart so about a year year two years ago there's this very this family that came to me and their four year old has been diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer called aml acute myeloid leukemia and it's a cancer in which to be fairly honest we are able to cure maybe about 60% and 40% we can't mm. and they had met a uh, a physician elsewhere who advised them to take the child home because nothing further can be done and we spoke to them and said he's right that it's not an easily treatable cancer but if you look at it the other way if we say that it's got a 40% failure rate it also means that 60% of the kids can have a normal healthy life hmm. so why should you give up hope at this point let us treat so we started off with treating the child and then 6 months later the child was in remission it was joy all the way around hmm. so you're we very happy unfortunately after about a year the disease came back 
and we talked to them and said that yes this could have happened and unfortunately it's happened we got to deal with it so we knew that that point that we couldn't save the child without a transplant hmm. and we did which was at that point one of the more difficult transplants we could do hmm. because there was no matches within the family we couldn't identify any donors in any of the registries so we did what we call is a half matched transplant where we took the cells from the father now our parents pass on half their genes to us so we are always half matched to our parents and we are always half matched to our children mm. so this is a new type of transplant where you can do a, do a bmt mm. even if the donor is half matched to mm. you and we did that with the help of keto actually to be honest because we talked about it and uh, keto came through a fundraising was organized and within a matter of 3 weeks i remember we had enough funds available for us to go through father donated his stem cells we did the bmt fast forward today in 2020 the guy is now 3 years from that date transplant has been done is healthy his parents come and see me once every 6 months oh that's incredible and, um, apparently he's the naughtiest boy in class <laughs> and i said that's the best news you could ever tell me i'm so glad to know that that's incredible <laughs> that's incredible i mean that that just gives hope to so many people uh, who's uh, you know who They're are going, going through, through something similar yeah. yeah is that there's always hope there's always hope we never give up hope that's right. why i keep on saying that don't lose hope It's there we would be there there will be something we can do right it uh, should just be positive and we take the journey together and see where we get to that's incredible and uh, you know when we talk about relapses you were talking about Correct. how this child had a relapse is there something that parents should do to i mean i'm sure it's not right to say to make sure that there's not a relapse, not a relapse. but uh, uh, is there something that you can do to Uh-huh. unfortunately not really no no we we are getting better and better at treating this cancer so which means that almost all our protocols and designed in such a way that we try and figure out which are the kids that may relapse and we give them more aggressive treatment up front mm. mm. now after that point it's just a question of us following the kids doing the blood tests and watching and parents do ask us this question very very often mm. what should i do to make sure the disease doesn't come back and unfortunately there isn't an answer and that's probably our failing as well because we still would not know what makes a disease come back in one child and never in the other sure we say okay things you can do is make sure you follow a healthy lifestyle you keep the environment clean but end of the day i'll be honest we still don't know the answer to that question right. why it comes back when it comes back right. why were it should come back right well, great thank you thank you so much it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you oh thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure and may i just say please carry on the good work you are doing you're touching lives so many lives across all our specialities across the spectrum please be there for us thank you thank you so much thank, thank you. you it's been wonderful thank you so much for listening and we'll be back soon with a new episode you can catch podcast md by keto on all the major platforms like apple podcast spotify google podcast geo savan and hubhopper 
You can also find it on eplog.media, our production partner. Please send us your feedback on Twitter using hashtag podcastmdketo. Leave us a review rating on iTunes and make sure you subscribe to the show. Goodbye. Thank you.